The Medal of Honor is the highest award for bravery that can be awarded to members of the United States Armed Forces. On the cusp of Tech Sergeant John Chapman being posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, I spoke with Mike Caldwell, retired airman and current COO for the Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation, about the foundation, the Medal of Honor, and working closely with the awards living recipients. I'm Tech Sergeant Brad Sisson, and this is the Air Force Podcast. The Air Force Podcast. So, sir, I know a little bit of background with you from what I read on the uh, uh, Foundation's website. You're the Chief Operating Officer. Of That's the, correct. Of the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor Foundation. That's right. So can you tell me a little bit about, I guess, the foundation and what you do? Our foundation was created in 1999 by the Congressional Medal of Honor Society. The society was signed into law, actually, by President Eisenhower in 1958. It is composed solely of the living recipients of the Medal of Honor. At the time it was signed into law, there were hundreds of living Medal of Honor recipients. Today, there are only 72. So as the numbers continued to dwindle and they got together every year, they realized that they needed to leave a, a bigger legacy than just meeting with each other. So they created our foundation in 1999, and our job is to build better communities inspired by the values that are embodied in our nation's highest military award, the Medal of Honor. And those values embodied in the medal are courage and sacrifice, commitment and integrity, and citizenship and patriotism. And so we do that by operating education and recognition programs across the country, involving many times the Medal of Honor recipients themselves, but always based on those values of the Medal of Honor. So that's what our foundation is all about. We have 10 employees. Our headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia, in the Air Force Association building, actually, on the third floor but our employees are scattered all over the country. So we're, we're more of a virtual operation than a physical operation, but, but it's a very rewarding work to be involved with because we're talking to a lot of kids every day, a lot of adults, a lot of people who see a need for these values to learn from them, to make better decisions about their lives and to help other people to do the same. So it's very rewarding work uh, for someone, especially like me, who spent a career in the United States Air Force, and then what do you do to replace that? And it's been a true blessing to be involved with it for the last two-plus years. So what type of uh, major programs do you have? We have our top priority program is uh, a program we call the Character Development Program. It's been around since 2010, where we go across the country and we train teachers to teach those values of the metal that I just talked about to their students in the classroom. And since 2010, um, we've been in 42 different states and taught nearly, trained nearly 15,000 teachers uh, to teach these values. So that's our primary uh, uh, program. We are always expanding these programs. For many years, it was just middle school and secondary. We expanded that in late 2016 to elementary school. So it's a K through 12 curriculum at this point. And um, we are 
we have plans in the very near future to expand it to an online training program. We want to reach every teacher in America. And since 2010, we've reached 15,000 of them. Well, there's 3 million teachers in the United States. So we need another way to reach people we'll just never get to because of where they are or impossible to just get to that many people. So we have plans to expand to an online training program. We have a, a new program, relatively new program, that is less than a year old called Live Up. And we also realize that while it's great to train the teachers, there are a lot of kids out there who may never get an opportunity to hear about these values unless we reach them directly where they live and learn and play, and that's, you know, on a mobile device. So we created a program called Live Up where they can learn about the values of the metal, but it's they're directly linked to issues that they're concerned about in their daily lives, like competence and respect, staying in school, getting a job, relationships with each other, that type of thing. And so we've found a way to create activities that they can participate in online, share those activities with each other like they like to do, and, uh, and actually be rewarded for those uh, when they complete activities and learn about the values and inculcate those in their own lives. So it's, it's a, been a really good program. It's been well received and, uh, and we're really excited about those two programs. We have a recognition program that we love. It's called the Citizen Honors Program and this is the recipient's personal program where they award everyday Americans for their acts of valor or self, selfless service to the nation. And so each year on March 25th, which is National Medal of Honor Day, they present um, five of these Citizen Honors Awards, two to people who have displayed acts of courage, one for lifelong personal selfless service to their community or nation, one to a Young Hero Award, and I'll give you an example. Uh, last year's recipient, Virgil Smith, 13-year-old kid from Houston, during a hurricane that hit South Texas a um, year and a half, two years ago, uh, he saved the lives of 13 kids, 13 people, in his apartment complex using an air mattress. So he'd swim around and get them, put them on the air mattress, and swim, swim them to safety. Amazing young man. And... Uh, and then we uh, have one for a, uh, a community organization that is dedicated to helping veterans and their families. Uh, Fisher House, for example, is a, is a recent recipient of the Citizen Honors Award. So, so those are three major programs that we're involved with on a daily basis to help, help uh, spread the news about these values that are embodied in the metal and, and uh, introduce them to people across the country okay um so you're speaking about earlier about kind of the as kind of the numbers of medal of honor recipients dwindling um and having kind of that you know almost that that, that podium or that organization to kind of spread that uh, embodiment of you know of the medal of honor mm -hmm. um how many uh, estimations was how many medals has the united states uh, military presented so far? Sure. So I, th I think what's interesting about the history of the medal 
is it was actually signed into law by President Lincoln in 1861. The first medal was pre presented March 25th, 1863. So March 25th is now National Medal of Honor Day. We celebrate it every year in Washington, D.C. with a wreath-laying ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Um, but it was uh, presented, first of all, March 25th, 1863, for a battle in the Civil War called Andrew's Raid. It was a little skirmish where Union soldiers commandeered a Confederate train in Georgia and steamed it up towards Chattanooga, wreaking havoc along the way. They were event the, the train was event eventually stopped. Many of the people on the raid were involved in the raid were killed, but several got away, and the surviving members are taken capture, and uh, the surviving members received the Medal of Honor for that. What's important is, since that first award, March 25th, 1863, more than 43 million men and women have served in the United States military. 43 million. Yet only 3,500 people have received the Medal of Honor. And more than half of those recipients came before World War I. So it's a very rare award. It's, it's bestowed upon someone for valor in combat above and beyond the call of duty, usually at great risk to their own life. And, uh, and the process in which someone is bestowed that is, is also... Uh, very um, detailed because they do not want to present it lightly. And so um, it's, it's a rare award, really. When you think about, if you were to do the math on that percentage, divide 3,500 by 43 million, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a very, very, very minuscule percentage. Yeah, I, I mean... Was it one or two decimal places? Exactly. Of, of percent, yeah. That's crazy. So talking about that as far as that goes, now um, we're on the Air Force podcast as far as airmen that have received it from, you know, from the total, it's, it's then it well, becomes even it, smaller. It becomes even smaller because only 18 airmen have received the medal. Uh, when Tech Sergeant Chapman receives his, it'll be number 19. So it's interesting, though, that dating back to World War I, medals were bestowed upon naval aviators dating back to the First World War. So it's not unusual for an aviator or an airman to receive the award, but not many Air Force airmen have received it. And up until we, even after we became a separate service, we were still receiving the Army Medal um, because of our Army Air Corps heritage. And uh, the Air Force's version of the Medal of Honor uh, was first struck in 1965. So uh, Bernard Fisher was the first Air Force Airman to uh, receive the Air Force Medal, the actual Air Force Medal of Honor. So you're kind of saying, uh, you're saying we, and you know, you're an airman as well. Yes, so sir. as far as a percentage of your um, your organization, is it kind of, you said 10 employees? Yes. Uh, so is it 
spread out kind of among other veterans or they're just, you know? No, actually there are only, uh, two of us who are veterans of the military that are involved in the foundation. Um, the CEO and I are both uh, retired military. Uh, there are others who are in the organization who have some tie to the military in some way, a spouse of a military member or had a family member that was involved, but that's not a requirement for the job. Um, we do work on a regular basis with the living recipients of the medal, and uh, and it, that's a very rewarding experience in and of itself because their stories are so incredible for what they had to do to earn this award. And uh, just being around them, being a part of what it is they do to help spread the word about these values is is very personally rewarding but it's also gratifying to see people actually get to experience what it's like to be around a true hero and we use that word lightly because we glorify them in movies and books and magazines and we're we're loose with the word sometime yeah I you read what these guys did you, you'll understand what true hero heroism is. And, you know, going back to the Air Force Medal, we have, of the 72 living recipients today, we only have two Air Force living recipients, both Vietnam War era veterans. Uh, Colonel Joe Jackson received his award for actions uh, May, on, in May 12th, 1968. He was... Uh, there were three Special Forces airmen trapped at an Army Special Forces base in Pham Duc, South Vietnam. Vietnam, And um, Colonel Jackson was a C-123 pilot. And it was getting later in the day. The weather was turning bad. The North Vietnamese had basically taken over the airstrip and they were firing into the Army Special Forces compound. It was on fire. I mean, it was a mess and these three guys were trapped. And other rescue attempts had failed that day. As a matter of fact, eight aircraft had already been destroyed. And one aircraft was still on the runway, which reduced the landing strip to about 2,200 feet. And Colonel Jackson's flying a C-123 cargo plane. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of a C-123, but it's not exactly a very sleek-looking airplane, as you might imagine. So he volunteered to give it a shot. I mean, it was the last shot of the day uh, because of the weather, the darkness, and all that. And under intense, heavy gunfire, enemy fire, he was able to get the C-123 in and maneuver it close to where um, the airmen were. And the aircraft's taken on all kinds of fire, uh, machine gun fire. A, uh, a rocket comes out and lands in front of the nose of the aircraft, hits the ground, and doesn't go off. The airmen are able to 
shoot their way onto the plane. And he's able to take off and get them out of there on a 2,200 foot strip. And, uh, and for that action, he received the Medal of Honor. It's a great piece of airmanship. Colonel Jim Fleming, who is our other uh, Air Force airman who has the Medal of Honor that's uh, still with us. He was a uh, Special Operations Huey pilot in Vietnam. And a handful of Army uh, Special Forces soldiers had been um, airdropped into the countryside in the Western Highlands of Vietnam, about 20 miles outside of Pleiku. And uh, as soon as they were dropped off, they were basically surrounded by the enemy on three sides, and the other side was the river. And they immediately called for air evacuation. And uh, forward air controller picked up the signal, of course, and, they, and, and Colonel Fleming was leading this five ship of Hueys at the time, and they were coming back from another mission that they'd already been on and were low on fuel, but they decided to go over to see if they could help. One of the helicopters solo on fuel, as soon as they got to the site, it had to, it had to leave and get back to its home base. One of the helicopters crashed. And so, so that left four helicopters. Then one crashed. So another helicopter had to go land, get those airmen off that helicopter, and they left. So that left two helicopters. One of the helicopters started laying down fire, defensive fire, so Colonel Fleming could vector his helicopter in to where, to pretty close to where he thought these folks were. And he took the skid of the helicopter onto the bank of the river and hanging out over the water, so they kind of had a ramp to jump up into the helicopter. They tried it, couldn't do it, they were too much fire. So he pulls away, circles. The uh, soldiers are instructed to set off their landmines. It's kind of a diversionary tactic. So they set those off. Jim comes swooping back in with his helicopter, does the same tactic again. They're able to shoot their way onto the helicopter and, and get them out of there. So, you know, our two, our two who, uh, who are still with us, uh, exemplify great airmanship skills and what they did to earn the Medal of Honor and every airman should be extremely proud of them and I've had the opportunity to meet both and both are just outstanding gentlemen um, aside from the fact that they're heroes of the nation. Yeah. Um, they share any I guess personality traits that you could kind of see like a from a human perspective at all? Um, or are they very, like, distinct? I mean, everybody's a distinct person, but was there kind of similarities between the two that just kind of struck you at all? You know, it's interesting you ask that because I've thought about that question regarding all of them, not just those two. And I've thought about that, and, and what is it that's common? And this may sound like trite since we're talking valor in combat, but the thing that really binds them together is courage. And because they're all different, very different from each other. 
But the one thing that binds them together is that in a moment of time, whether that moment is eight seconds, like Flo Groberg likes to say, who got between a, a, a man wearing a suicide vest and the rest of his platoon or the detail he was providing and, and it detonated or a battle that took four days like uh, a few of them have. Um, Jay Vargas, who was Marine, um, comes to mind. Uh, Command Sergeant Major Gary Luttrell, four-day battles. Benny Atkins, three-day battle. Um, what did they all display when the nation really needed them to display it was courage. And, and you hear them talk, and they all feel fear, you know. But Major General Pat Brady is when he's also a helicopter pilot, just an Army helicopter pilot. He was a dust-off pilot in Vietnam. He says, we all feel fear. But fear is an emotion. Courage is a choice. And what he says is, everybody, not just Medal of Honor recipients, but all of us, you, me, person walking down the street that you'll never know, we all have courage. It's inside. We just have to pull it out. And guess what? You never run out of that. That's something you never, that's the one thing we all have in common. They display courage when courage was absolutely needed. That's, yeah, because I've always, I don't know, I've always wondered that. And I think we had the conversation earlier in the office when we knew you were coming down and uh, uh, I was kind of doing some research and stuff like that and just trying to figure out if there's this, you know, rhyme or reason or, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's a tough take uh, to see if there is this kind of common denominator among, you know, them or, you know, the regular population. And they all displayed courage at a time when courage was needed the most. I'd like to say they're all built like NFL linebackers and were good looking and handsome and, you know, great senses of humor. None of that. They're all different, but they all display courage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what gets you out of bed every morning working for this organization? Well, I tell you, I, I spent 24 years in the Air Force. That changed my life. I mean, it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it. And when you leave the Air Force... It's hard to find something to replace all of that. Now, I don't miss the issues, you know, but I do miss the people that I worked those issues with. But this has been pretty close to, you know, uh, being able to work around these, these true heroes of America, to be able to put them in a place where they can make a difference for the lives of others. That's what keeps me going. Because we're, as our mission statement says, really trying to build that better community, whatever that community is, whether it's a school, whether it's a uh, rural location or, you know, big city or whatever, whatever that community is. We're trying to help them make it better by 
by uh, through the values of this of this uh, highest award, the Medal of Honor. So you're speaking of community and stuff like that, um, and I'm sure there's this this Medal of Honor community. Is there a level of um, you know, cause we're always talking about, especially with the Air Force, this level of mentorship that, um, you know, it comes down from uh, whether it's uh, senior NCOs to NCOs to airmen or, um, uh, you know, more senior leadership to junior leadership and all that. Is there kind of this mentorship when it comes to um, older Medal of Honor recipients and younger ones at all? Yes, you know, there's a... Uh there's not a rank structure within the Medal of Honor Society, and, and they have everyone from general officers to, to uh, you know, E2s and 3s and 4s. Um, so there's not a formal rank structure. Uh, it, it's funny to listen to the Vietnam guys now when they earn their medals and went to one of these conventions or got around a group of them. You know, it was people like Jimmy Doolittle who were sitting in the room and they'd pull him over and say, this is what you have to do. They have passed that along to the younger guys. And um, they do their best to instruct and then let them be their own people. You know, it's a little different these days for these young guys uh, because they don't have a whole lot of time to do the that thing you do with the Medal of Honor because they're working. They've got families. They, they're, they're still out there making a living. So uh, most of them have jobs with... with uh, supervision that understands what they're all about and, and lets them go out and and make a difference from time to time but but they uh they have some different concerns than i think the guys from the vietnam generation had and uh, and so uh they do mentor each other and even the young the older younger guys mentor the younger younger guys you know so uh so it's uh, it's it's quite a dynamic to watch. Yeah. Um, is there any type of? Uh, I was kind of going through a couple of the biographies of some of the recipients, especially mm -hmm. the Iraq and Afghanistan sure. uh, recipients. Is there? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Is there some kind of uh, some? Even though it's an immense honor. Um, is there baggage that comes along with it a little bit as well, whether it's the families or the um, the recipients at all that, that kind of maybe weighs a little bit or no? I just I imagine having something, uh, it's kind of like you hear about survivor's guilt, and I imagine having the Medal of Honor. Is there baggage that you would see at all with these guys or their families? Um, I, I would say that, you know, there are, I always ask when I'm with them and I get to do interviews with them kind of like what we're doing now. Actually, I asked them, what's the best thing about wearing the medal and what's the hardest thing? And, you know, one of the hardest things is you're always on. People are always watching you. They're always listening to what you say. And they're, they're making an assessment as to whether or not you're upholding what, what that medal stands for.
But to get to more of the heart of your question, all of them will say the medal that they're wearing is not theirs. That they're wearing it for the person who didn't come home that was fighting right next to them, who did exactly, they'll say it this way, who was doing exactly what I was doing. But for some reason, I'm the one that's recognized, so I'm going to wear it for them. Many of them wear a bracelet with um, the names of the people that were killed that day in whatever their action was, just to remember them and remember that this medal that they wear is not theirs. It's not their own, it's theirs. And, uh, and so they carry that with them. And, and it, it's, it's a burden, but it's also a responsibility that they, for the most part, gladly care, carry. Um, Sal Junta, who was the first a soldier to receive the Medal of Honor for the War on Terror. And and we went 40 years in this country without awarding a Medal of Honor, and Sal Junta was the first one from the War on Terror. I was in a town hall meeting one day, and he was the young guy, and there were a couple of Vietnam guys there. And, and a young man stood up in the crowd and asked, does it concern you at all that you received a medal for killing people? And the older guys are like, oh, I wonder who's going to take this question. And Sal raised his hand and said, I'll take it. And the older guy said, okay, Sal, you go ahead. <laughs> and Sal stood up and said, you know, that's a great question. You just ask. But, and to put it all into perspective, he said, we don't fight and sacrifice because we hate what's in front of us, but because we love what's behind us. That's why we do it. So these young men are extremely, extremely um, gifted, talented, patriotic, courageous, just like those older guys were. Well, I appreciate your time coming on the podcast. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add at all? I mean, this is uh, really insightful, um, really informative at all. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Just that uh, I think it's uh, greatly exciting for the Air Force to have another Medal of Honor recipient in the family. And I think all of us as airmen really respect and honor the sacrifice that Sergeant Chapman made and we we owe him a debt of gratitude but we also should continue to remember his family in our thoughts and prayers because uh, you know they're the ones that will We'll carry this now, you know, and we should be remembering them going forward. The Air Force Podcast.